0: Well, today we see Jesus, another difficult concept. Jesus is this. He is fully God. He's fully God, but he's also fully man. And if you haven't wrestled with that one a little bit, uh, I'd be surprised because it's difficult to understand as well. He's fully God, fully man. Yet today we're going to see him step into something that we all encounter. We're going to see the temptation of Jesus. And temptation is one of the things that unites us. Every single one of us in this room have been tempted. We're tempted on a daily basis. Temptation is something we all experience. Now, sometimes we may be numb to it. We may not recognize it, but it's there. We all battle and struggle with temptation towards sin. Even in the season we've been in here uh, as a nation and as a world, With COVID and conflict, it's easy to be tempted with higher levels of anxiety, greater worry, greater despair, and those temptations can lead us a couple ways. They can lead us to despair and hopelessness, and what are we going to do? Or they can lead us to greater faith in God Almighty, saying, God, I don't understand. I don't have it all figured out, but I can trust you. I can trust that you do in the midst of it. So today we're going to look at this great passage. It's in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. If you would, please, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn there with me. But if you don't, the words will be on the screen behind me so you can follow along. Let's hear the Word of God. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If... Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory and said to him, all this I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came And we're ministering to him. This is the word of God for the people of God. And all God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. God, your word declares that all men are like grass, and all our glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word, the word of the Lord, stands forever. And Lord, may this be the word that is faithfully preached today. God, unless you speak, nothing of any significance will be spoken here today. So speak, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, our passage today starts off with these words. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit. Jesus' ministry here on earth, he operates as a man. Fully God and fully man, he lives as a man. And at his baptism, we see the Spirit descend upon him, and then we see the Spirit lead him. Much like you and I live. Christians, those who've trusted in Christ, those who have been born again by the, the blood of Jesus Christ, who are redeemed, who are a new creation, the Spirit comes and dwells in us and leads us, guides us, directs us, And we have to be sensitive to listen to the leading of the Spirit. That's how Jesus operated during his ministry. He was led here by the Spirit, just like you and I. We're led by the Spirit. Jesus lived as a man, and he was led, get this, into the wilderness. Now, this wilderness, I don't know what you think of when you hear the word wilderness, but this is a barren, rocky land No water, no vegetation, nothing lives there. Jesus goes to a desolate place. And the picture here, Jesus, he's referred to in Romans 5, 1 Corinthians 15, he is called the second Adam. Meaning the first Adam came without a sin nature. He lived and he fell to sin. And Jesus is the second Adam without a sin nature and he comes and what's going to happen? And Adam and Eve, God placed them in a glorious garden, a lush garden. Every single need they had was met. They longed for nothing. They had fellowship with God. They had all the provision that they needed in this garden. And Jesus, he goes to a barren wasteland where no Human needs could be met. You see, Adam and Eve, they were in what the pre-fall world looked like. Everything met. Everything you need. Fellowship and harmony with God. And Jesus is in what the post-fall world looked like. After the fall occurred, all creation feels implications. And Jesus goes to a spot on earth that fills the death that comes from the fall. And that's where we find him, and he goes to this wilderness for a reason. It says, to be tempted by the devil. He's going to encounter temptation. Now, when we talk about temptation, I mentioned this earlier, it's something that we all experience. There is was a, a verse, and it's actually one of my favorite verses, but it's a verse I struggled with uh, for a long time to understand, Hebrews 4:15. It says this: "For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet is without sin." Now I don't know about you, I hear that I go, "Jesus has been tempted in every way just like me? You mean he's been tempted with road rage, getting angry when you're driving around the city and seeing somebody? You mean he's been tempted to, to look at something inappropriate on the internet? You mean he's been tempted in everything and it confused me. What does it mean? Because those things weren't even around when Jesus was living. Well, there's a passage in 1 John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, and it says this. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh... The desires of the eyes and the pride in possession is not from the Father, but from the world. Now when we talk about the world, we've got to realize the world, when Scripture speaks of the world, it speaks of the world that is under the dominion of the devil. At the fall, God gave Adam stewardship of this world, but at the fall, Satan claimed it. And this world it's broken and fallen, and we, we, we wait and long for the day that Jesus returns, but here uh, Jesus comes and he's going to be tempted in all three of these ways. Every temptation you encounter falls into one of those three areas. We often refer to it as the, pride, uh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Any sin you commit will fall into one of those three areas, maybe all three of them. And Jesus is going to be tempted in all three of those ways by the devil. Now, people will sometimes say things like, the devil made me do it. The devil tempted me. But the truth is, probably none of us have been tempted by the devil himself. You see, there's things about God. God is all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's everywhere. None of those are true of Satan. He's not all-knowing. He's not all-powerful. He's not everywhere. So for me to think he came and tempt a guy like me, he probably hasn't. He probably sends one of his lower-level demons to come and try to tempt a guy like me. But here, this is Satan himself coming to tempt the Son of God in a cosmic showdown here. Jesus is going to deal with temptation. He's going to be tempted in every way that you and I could be tempted with the source of it. And here it says in verse 2, And after 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, I've never fasted for very long. Scripture speaks of fasting. It doesn't say if you fast. It says when you fast. It's assumed in the Christian life that we would uh, practice the discipline of fasting in various ways. I'll tell you, it's a discipline I often neglect. But Jesus here has been fasting from food for 40 days. Now, I've never fasted from food more than a few days. But here's what I've been told and heard. When you fast, when you fast from food, the first few days you are very hungry. Your body realizes something's off. We're not being fed. We need food. But there comes a period where your body realizes it's not getting fed, and the hunger pains leave. And your body accepts that it's not being fed. But then, sometime around day 40, your body realizes that the end is near. You physically can't carry on much longer. Your body is about to die. And when that happens, the hunger pains return, letting you know, warning, warning, you're about to die. And look at where Jesus is. He's hungry. Jesus is hungry. It's the warning signs. He is near physical death. You see, a way that most people fight temptation, myself included, Many of you in this room, this is the way we often fight temptation, is through our own willpower. We try to fight it on our own. We can do it. And we fight temptation, we fight sin apart from God. But whenever we're stripped of our fleshly comforts, whenever our body is at its lowest point, that's sometimes the most vulnerable place When we've gone without sleep, when we've gone without food, when we've gone without these basic things that God's made our body to need, we are more open to sin and temptation than than at other times. And Jesus is there. His flesh is at the lowest place His flesh can be. He's hungry. Forty days, forty nights. Now that number 40, sometimes people will get a little goofy with numbers in Scripture, but this number 40 is a significant number. It's used over and over and over again in Scripture. We see it's used to signify a generation in the Old Testament. That 40 years is a generation. We see Noah at the flood. It rained 40 days and 40 nights. We see in the life of Moses. And and, and get this, I haven't pointed this out yet, but in Matthew's Gospel, there's a parallel being drawn between Jesus and Moses. He's writing to the Jewish people, and he wants to see Jesus as greater than Moses, as a fulfillment of all that Moses could not be. And Moses' life was broken into three 40-year segments. First 40 years, he lived as as royalty, as the son of the daughter of Pharaoh. The next 40 years, he lived as a shepherd. God's training school for greatness is to take a man and have him serve as a shepherd. And the last 40 years, he leads God's people, Israel. Moses didn't start leading Israel until he was 80 years old. And Moses would die at 120. Moses spent 40 days and 40 nights receiving the law on Mount Sinai. And Moses roamed with the people of Israel for 40 years. Moses sent out the spies to go uh, look at the promised land. And they were there for 40 days. So we see this number throughout. It's a number of testing after 40 years of being under the power of the Philistines God sends a man named Samson. After 40 days of being taunted by Goliath, David would rise up to fight the enemy. Elijah would flee Jezebel, and after he traveled 40 days and 40 nights, he would arrive at Mount Horeb. So again, this number's throughout scripture. So it's no accident that Jesus spends 40 days and 40 nights out in the desert, out in the wilderness. And now he's going to be tempted by Satan at his physically lowest point. In verse 3, it says, The tempter came and said to him, If. Notice Satan does acknowledge who he is. He starts with a questioning of who he is. And know that's still what Satan loves to do today. He loves to start with each and every person and say, Is he really the Son of God? And he says, If you are. The Son of God, command these stones to become bread. Everything around Jesus is stone. That's what he looks at. Is stone everywhere. And he says, turn these stones into bread. Your greatest need right now is bread. You're going to die. Tempting his physical, his, his flesh. We saw that Adam and Eve in the garden, they were tempted. In all three ways that Jesus would be tempted, but they were tempted with one sin. To eat God in the garden. God said, you've got everything you need. There's only one thing I say not to do. Don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6, it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, her flesh desired to eat this. She wanted to eat from the tree. And here's Jesus: "His flesh wants to turn the stones into bread and eat. That's what his flesh wants to do." Satan comes and tempts him with that. But Jesus quotes from Scripture, it says, "It is written, "Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We don't live on bread alone. We need food to live. but that's not all we need to live." We need so much more than just food. And Jesus here, he quotes from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. He quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Remembering the wilderness wanderings of Israel for 40 years. When they were in the desert roaming for 40 years. Here's Jesus in the desert roaming for 40 days. And he quotes from Deuteronomy. What passages of scripture had Jesus been meditating on and processing during these 40 days? I think he'd been spending some time in the book of Deuteronomy. But notice he says, man does not live on bread alone. We need bread to live. Many of us, when we have a meal, we pause to pray, right? Why do we do that? Well, sometimes people will pray and say, God, bless this food. God, make this food that I'm about to eat healthy. Make it take care of my body. Those are some things. But the heart of the matter while we pray is this. God, thank you. Thank you, God, for giving me food. I would die without this. I'm not independent. I'm not self-sufficient. God, you're self-sufficient. I'm not. I need food to live. And if I go without this food, I will most assuredly die. You see, one thing I can tell about every single person in this room, you've all eaten, Well, some of us may be hungry now. But we all have eaten plenty of meals over and over and over again throughout our life because if we hadn't, we would be dead. God made us dependent upon food. We need food to live. So we say, thank you, God, for providing. But Jesus says, that's not all you live on. Our body screams and craves for food, but our soul and our spirit craves the Lord We don't just live on bread alone. We live on the word that comes from the mouth of God. We crave the word of God. Our soul desires the word of God. We need the word of God in our life. If we live apart from it, we live broken. We don't live how we're designed to live. We live in a fallen world, eating the garbage of this world, looking for the junk of this world to satisfy our souls that will always, always leave us empty and longing and insufficient. No, we don't live by bread alone. We live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus also, in his flesh, he never does a single miracle during his ministry to benefit himself. Jesus never does a miracle for himself. All the miracles that Jesus will do will be about loving others and God's glory When he feeds the 5,000, they collect 12 baskets afterwards, one for each disciple. They don't collect 13. Jesus doesn't get one. No miracle that Jesus performs is ever about himself. It's always about the Father's glory and about the love of humanity. So after this, the devil, in verse 5, and I just want to pause real quick. This second temptation we're going to see is actually the third temptation chronologically. I point that out because Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience, and he wants to emphasize certain themes that they're struggling with. And the biggest theme that the Jewish people struggle with is, who's the Messiah? Who's the King? Where's the kingdom? Why isn't he coming to kick out Rome? Now Luke's gospel, he opens with the words that he writes an orderly account. And that word for orderly in the Greek means It's chronos, meaning exact chronological order. So this second temptation, chronologically, is the third one, but Matthew puts it second because he wants to emphasize something very important to the Jewish people, so he puts the second one third. Don't let that bother you. still the Word of God, still fully true. So here he says in verse 5, Then the devil took him to the holy city, That's Jerusalem. And set him on the pinnacle of the temple. That would be 100 to 150 meters high. And he said to him, If if you're the Son of God, throw yourself down. Now Satan is going to quote Scripture. And let me tell you, Satan knows Scripture better than anybody in this room. He knows the Word of God better than any of us. And what he loves to do is twist the Word of God. He loves to take the Word of God and give half-truths. He loves to get into the people of the church and lead them astray by having them misunderstand the Word of God, by twisting the Word of God. That's one of his great strategies of deception. And here, Jesus just quoted Scripture. Now Satan's going to quote Scripture back. He quotes from Psalm chapter 91, verse 11 and 12, and he says this, He will command his angels concerning you, and on your hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. Now Satan has taken Jesus to the temple, the pinnacle in Jerusalem. There would have been crowds in Jerusalem. It was the largest city in Israel. And if Jesus jumps off the pinnacle... And right as he's about to die, he's about to smash into the rocks. Angels swoop in and save him. Do you think all Jerusalem will be talking? Did you see what Jesus did? Did you see what that carpenter from Nazareth did? He went up on the pinnacle and he jumped off and angels came to save him. This is a temptation to the pride of life. Bring glory to yourself, Jesus. Everybody's going to marvel at you. Eve, Adam and Eve, when they were in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, it says that they saw that the fruit would make them wise. The pride of life. They wanted to eat, so they had more wisdom, so they were more glorified. And here, Jesus jumps so that you bring glory to yourself. Pride of life he's tempted with here. But Satan always misquotes Scripture. He leaves a part of Scripture out. Look at Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12. I believe it will be on the screen. It says, For he will commend his angels concerning you, get this, to guard you in all your ways. Satan didn't say to guard you in all your ways. He left that part out. Satan says, this is my way that I've created for you, Jesus. Do what I say, and angels will come and help you. But Jesus knew now, the angels will guard me in all my ways that my Father has set before me. They will protect me. They will look after me. So Jesus, again, quotes from Deuteronomy, and in verse 7, it said to him, Again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. This time, quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. Now, the third temptation says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Now, if you've been following along as we go through Matthew, I've said one of the big questions Matthew's seeking to answer is, who's the king? Where's the kingdom? All the Jewish people are wondering, where is this kingdom? And Satan takes Jesus up to a spot, shows him all the kingdoms of the world. Now, we don't know exactly how he did that, but he shows him the kingdoms of the world. This is what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to redeem humanity from the curse of the fall by being a substitute for humanity and for our sin to step into our place on the cross to redeem a people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. He's going to redeem people from all over creation. And Satan looks and says, hey, these kingdoms are mine. I'll give you a shortcut, Jesus. You don't have to go to that rugged cross. You just bow down and worship me and they're yours. Skip the cross. Skip taking the sin of the world upon you. Skip becoming sin on that cross skip the darkness as you're separated in some way from the father there on the cross skip all of that bow down and worship me see every jewish person is wondering where's the kingdom and satan offers him the kingdom it's his at this point to offer now jesus has reclaimed the kingdom the kingdom was the adam was given dominion over all the world at the fall satan took it And Jesus on the cross reclaimed it. And one day he's coming back to fully claim what is his. We long for that day. But Satan's offering him a shortcut. And in verse 9, he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Now Eve, Adam and Eve, when they were in the garden, it says that they saw, they looked, and the fruit was good for food. They looked at it. It looked good. So The fruit would feed their flesh. The fruit would make them wise, give them pride of life. And the fruit looked good. And here Jesus looks and sees the kingdoms of the world. That's his mission. He's come for the world. His very mission. And Satan's offering him a shortcut to accomplish his mission. If he'll fall down in worship... And Jesus says to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and you, and him only shall you serve. He's quoting again from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. Jesus fights Satan with the word of God. There's one offensive weapon we're given as Christians, and that's the word of God. And that's what Jesus fights with from Deuteronomy. I wonder how many of us could... Fight temptation by quoting Deuteronomy. Jesus out in the wis- out in the desert, quoting Deuteronomy as he fights the enemy. In verse eleven, listen to this: Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering him. Do you remember the part that Satan left out when he quoted Scripture? He left out the part where the angels would minister to him in all his ways. And at the end of the temptation, that's fulfilled. The angels come and minister to Jesus. Because Jesus had walked in the way of the Lord in all his ways. He didn't follow the way of Satan. He followed the way of the Lord. And angels come and they minister to Jesus Christ here. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. See, our high priest was tempted in every way and defeated that. And how did he defeat it? With the word of God. Scripture says this in Psalm 119, I have hidden your word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. There is power in the word of God. When I step up to preach or anybody in this pulpit steps up to preach, there's no power in the man. There's power in the Word. And our desire as a church is to faithfully proclaim the Word of God. To faithfully bring the Word of God to people. Now I confess sometimes an interpretation can be errant, maybe misunderstood. But as a church, we come back to the Word of God. And we hide God's Word in our heart. Why is scripture memory important? Why is it important to know God's word? Because that's how you can fight temptation. You want to live how God's called you to live? Hide the word in your heart. And when that temptation comes, it's coming. You'll have temptation today. Probably most of you will be tempted on your drive home. Say a coarse word to a spouse. Say a harsh word to a child. Think an ill thought of somebody coming up to your car. Whatever it may be, we're going to be tempted as we leave here. And the way we fight temptation to not lead us to sin, because that's where temptation wants to take you is to sin, is with the word of God. In track and field, when a hurdler runs, I've been told if they stare at the hurdle, they're most certainly going to wipe out. They're going to trip over the hurdle and fall if they look at that hurdle. The way you jump a hurdle is you look beyond the hurdle. You look beyond that hurdle. You look toward the goal and you run and you smoothly jump over that hurdle. And that's what we do. We look to the prize that is Jesus Christ. We look beyond the temptation. see, many fight temptation on their own. There's many of you here. You've been fighting the same sin over and over and over again throughout your life. You may fight it for a long time but you have bought the lie that you can't experience victory let me tell you that's a lie jesus secured victory over sin on the cross and he gives that victory to us we can walk in victory over sin we don't have to be slaves to sin we're free but if we don't live by the word of god if we don't feast on the Word of God like we feast on bread, then you can rest assured that we're going to continue to struggle with that temptation. If we don't fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, we're going to continue to struggle. Now we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, the one who will save us. Saint Benedict was a monk who wanted to fight sin in the 4th and 5th century. He was tempted everywhere he looked, so he went and lived in a cave, isolated. People would bring him food, and he would wear itchy, scratchy clothes that were uncomfortable so that he never got too comfortable. But even in that cave, all alone, his mind began to roam to a woman he had encountered. And his mind began to be tempted And in order to battle the temptation, he threw himself into a thorn bush to beat his flesh. But no matter what he did, he realized, I cannot beat temptation on my own. It's only by the power of God, by the Word of God, with the help of the people of God, walking by the power of the Spirit of God, that we can walk in freedom from sin. Remember this, Jesus, when he taught his disciples to pray, he didn't pray, lead us not into sin. He takes it one step back. Lead us not into temptation. Brothers and sisters, it's wisdom. If you know a certain place, a certain thing brings temptation, Jesus says, don't go that way. Don't be led that way that leads you to temptation. Turn. Trust in Christ. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. And Jesus secured that here on the, out in the desert. He's been tempted in every way just like you and I are. Yet is without sin. And he de- defeated sin on the cross. If you're here today and sin's dominating your life, Maybe you're here today and you're blind to some sin in your life. Maybe you struggle with what we call acceptable sins and you don't recognize them as much. I pray that God would open your eyes. I pray that you would fight that temptation. But don't fight on your own. You'll lose. Fight by the sword of the Word of God, by the power of the Spirit like our Lord and Savior Jesus did. We can walk in victory. Church, I pray that's each of our stories. Let's pray. God, I do thank you for your word. Your word is true. And Lord, we have an enemy that wants to twist your word, wants to make the word something other than it is, wants to make the word uh, meet our flesh. And Lord, I'll tell you, Being a broken, fallen man, I recognize that I can do that. I recognize that I can both misunderstand your word. So Lord, if there's anything today that has been spoken that is less than the truth of your word, I pray that you would allow that to fall on deaf ears. But Lord, the truths that come from your word, may they penetrate our hearts and our minds and our souls deeply in such a way that we are able to fight temptation that we're able to walk away from being led into temptation, that we realize that we have a high priest who's able to sympathize with our weakness, has been tempted in every way, yet he did not sin. And the victory that he secured, he offers to us. So Lord, may we be a people who walk not as those defeated, but walk as those victorious. Not because of ourselves but because our Savior has redeemed us and secured the victory on the cross. Lord, may we hide the word of God in our heart and may when temptation comes, you bring your word to mind so that we use the one weapon we have against the enemy, the sword of the word of God. Lord, we thank you for Christ. We pray that your spirit would do its work here today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.